Hi, this is Tyler back. Welcome to the lecture for Chapter 12 of Economics 1500. We've built our aggregate supply aggregate demand model. Now uh, we're going to use it to understand the role of government and eventually to understand the role of the Federal Reserve in in our economy. But Chapter 12 is all about what we call fiscal policy. It's the role of government in using its powers of spending and taxation to influence uh, uh, the economy, to reduce unemployment, to control inflation, or whatever the goal may be. If you'll call up your slides for Chapter 12, and let's start with, uh, well, in terms of, as a comparison to Chapter 9, this chapter is not too bad. I mean, Chapter 9 is the key, to, I think, for, the, for much of what's to come. This chapter and the next couple chapters, you have to be able to understand the aggregate supply or demand model to be able to use it to analyze fiscal and monetary policy. But nevertheless, in Chapter 12, we start with Slide 2, which uh, is, a, again, a picture of our aggregate supply or demand model. And we're just going to focus on the short run, so we're not going to see any longer aggregate supply curves in this in this chapter. We're just going to have our regular short-run aggregate supply curve, the AS curve. But we do want to note back to the shape of this short-run aggregate supply curve. and We want to think of, of three ranges of the aggregate supply curve, the where it's horizontal uh, in, in, in panel A of slide 2, at very low levels of output. It's intuitive that changes in demand wouldn't increase prices much because there's so much excess capacity in the economy. And that's called the Keynesian range of the aggregate supply curve. And you can see in that part of the aggregate supply curve, if there's an increase in demand, the full effect is felt uh, from an, uh, comes from an increase in output. There's no change in prices. In uh, panel B, we're getting in what is called the intermediate range, where we're getting close to full employment. There's there's still some excess capacity, but not a lot. And so, if there's an increase in demand, there may be a tendency for that to cause prices to rise. Uh, and then in the in the classical range, where the aggregate supply short aggregate supply curve becomes vertical. Uh, there's you, you can increase output. There's an increase in aggregate demand. We're already at full employment. We're, we're close to potential GDP. There's no excess capacity. If there's an increase in demand for goods and services, firms can't respond by producing more if we're already at or close to our potential GDP. There may be some slight increase in output, but it's difficult for output to go up very much very fast. And so most of the effect of an increase in demand is felt on prices. Well, fiscal policy, for the most part, is, is what the government can do to influence aggregate demand. <clears throat> we know from earlier, their government comes into the aggregate demand curve two ways, directly because can government purchases are part of aggregate demand, but also indirectly because of uh, taxes affect consumption. And that's that's really what all that's going on here. And let's work some examples. So, well, uh, I guess before we get that far, still on slide two. So, an increase in government spending will in shift demand to the right. All right, that's an increase in spending. Everything else remain the same. An increase in government purchases, I should say, everything else remaining the same will shift demand to the right. A decrease in government spending or purchases will shift it to the left. An increase in taxes. You tell me which way will that shift the aggregate demand curve. An increase in taxes will reduce disposable income. So an increase in taxes will sh cause consumption spending to fall. The air demand curve will shift left. A decrease in taxes will shift it to the right. Well, let's look at uh, 
Let's look at slide 13 and see what's going on here. In this particular slide, we have an, an initial equilibrium at point A. And we're at some point on the aerial supply curve where the thing is upward sloping. And let's say there's, an in, in this example, there's an increase in spending. Uh, but there's an increase, but it's financed with an increase in taxes. Now you would think, <clears throat> now if there's just an increase in government spending, we would think, well, yeah, sure, the air demand curve is going to go to the right. And in fact, it'll go to the right by more than the increase in government spending because of what is called the multiplier effect. Here's the idea. If the government goes out and spends $100 billion new dollars to build a road, that's a that's directly a hundred billion dollar increase in aggregate expenditures or aggregate demand. But the hundred billion dollars will go to some contractor who will pay her employees. And let's say all of it flows through to either subcontractors or employees. They have a hundred billion in new income. See, and let's say that they spend ninety percent of their income. They go out and buy new pickup trucks for ninety billion. So there's an initial $100 billion increase in demand. That flows through and becomes somebody's income. They spend 90% of it. There's a new $90 billion increase in demand. Say the, uh, the uh, auto workers who made the pickups, they receive the income. Their incomes go up, and they go out and buy beer. And so there's an increase. Another, let's say they spend 90% of the $90 billion. What's that? Another $81 billion. But that becomes income to beer producers or beer employees, and they go out and they purchase something else. And so there's these multiplier effects. Spending becomes income, and income becomes spending, and the chain continues. So for a given increase in government spending, we can think of, with multiplier effects, aggregate demand will shift by even more to the right, everything else remaining the same. But even if there, but what if there's an increase in taxes to finance the spending? So there's a $100 billion increase in spending with a $100 billion increase in taxes. Well, we can argue that there will still be an increase in demand, and here's why. The government spends $100 billion, but if they take $100 billion from you in taxes, that won't decrease your spending directly by $100 billion because you would have saved some of it. On average, people save some. Let's say that savings is $10 billion. So the government spends $100 billion. That adds to demand, $100 billion. There will be multiplier effects. The government takes $100 billion from you, but you wouldn't have spent that anyway. You'd only spent 90% of it because you'd have saved 10%. So the decrease in demand initially is less, is a net increase of $10 billion. An increase in government spending of initially of $100 billion, a decrease in consumption of $90 billion. So there's an initial net increase of $10 billion, but then there will be multiplier effects on top of that. So the demand curve will shift to the right, even with a balanced budget increase in spending. But there's also this other problem that because taxes go up, it may it, there may be some slight effect on aggregate supply, because firms or producers uh, and owners of resource resources will have less of an incentive to provide their resources into production, primarily labor. If there's an increase in taxes, some people may drop out of the labor force. Uh, it's not worth it uh, to work when the government's taking a bigger chunk of your income. And this takes us all the way, and we're going to slip, skip ahead here to slide 17. 
uh, if I can find my note of what slide we I think it's slide, yeah, slide 17. Slide 17 is a somewhat infamous or famous diagram showing the relationship between uh, the tax rate and tax revenue and the implied effect on labor. Uh, as it notes here in the box, taxes are a disincentive to productive activity. If there's a 100% tax rate as measured on the vertical axis, that would make us effectively slaves, and nobody would want to be a slave, and so there'd be no work. If the government takes 100% of, of your income, none of us would work. And so uh, certainly there'd be very little supply. There'd be no labor force. We'd all sit home on our hands and wait for, I don't know, just to hell with the government. Hell with working. The government's taking all of our income. Uh, at a low, and, and that's really what's all. That's the main point of this. But also, you can see the effect on revenue. If at a hundred percent tax rate, because nobody's working, there's no income. Even though the tax rate's hundred percent, there's no income tax. Tax revenue zero is measured on the horizontal axis. Well, at the same time, if there was a zero tax rate, be a lot of incentive to work. There'd be a lot of income, but there, since there's a zero tax rate, again, there'd be no tax revenue. Uh, at tax rates somewhere in between, there'd be positive tax revenue. There'd be work, income, and there's some positive tax rate on that income. But at some point, beyond T, as you continue to raise taxes, tax revenue may fall uh, in the so-called Laffer curve. But that's going back to slide three. Or slide four, I sh slide three. Yeah, that's what's going on with this aggregate supply curve shifting to the left. It's reflecting the possibility of that. Uh, the, the disincentive to work. Well, uh, let's go to slide four. There's a little more to the story. It's easy to say that, well, yeah, if government spends more, there'll be an increase in air demand. Uh, and that may have some effect on output and prices, particularly if we're some level below full employment. But there's some qualifications we need to make. And one is this notion of crowding out. And the government spends money, and, let, and let's say they don't even borrow to spend it. They, well, excuse me, they don't raise taxes, but they borrow. So this is government spending financed by borrowing. Well, they're out. The government, that is, is out there competing with the rest of us for funds. There's only a limited amount of funds available to be lent out, and if the government's out there borrowing more of them, there has maybe a tendency for interest rates to be bid up. That's what it says here in the second bullet point of slide four. The government demand for credit drives up interest rates. Well, we know the interest rates affect consumer spending and investment spending. And so an increase in government spending, financed by borrowing, may drive down. Government spending, financed by borrowing, if it drives up interest rates, will tend to decrease consumer and investment spending, which are called private uh, spending. And so this government spending crowds out private spending. So the act demand curve may not shift to the right as far as we thought. Uh, and that's uh, there's also another problem with this crowding out. If there's lef less investment spending, remember what investment spending is. Investment spending is the purchase accumulation of capital. So the more, so the less investment spending have, the less capital we'll have in the future, and that's not good more capital we have, the more productive we are, the higher incomes. Rich nations have lots of capital. We want lots of capital. So we don't want government spending to crowd out investment spending and result in a lower capital stock in the future. That's another uh, thing to consider when we we'd like to think, well, the government can just use its powers of spending to always generate full employment. 
that budget spe- deficit spending's good. It adds to demand. Well, yeah, but there are other problems. And in the final analysis, also remember that there's only so much demand can do. It's, uh, in the long run, the aggregate supply curve is vertical anyway. Uh, and in the long run, demand is irrelevant in determining the level of output. It only has a short-run impact anyway. And even even then, government deficit spending, uh, even even assuming it has some short-run impact on output, we also have to consider this crowding out problem. Uh, so we ought to be a little bit suspect, I suppose, of, of uh, federal deficit spending in an attempt to increase demand. Uh, there's also this problem in slide 5 that higher interest rates, again caused by deficit spending, may cause the currency to appreciate. Think of this. There's all this money out there in the world, and it's looking for a, a highest return. And if interest rates in the United States are higher than they otherwise would be, that'll attract more of this yeah, money from around the world. But in order to invest in the U.S. to get those higher interest rates on U.S. bonds, German and pension funds and Japanese, Japanese government, others who are wanting to invest, first have to buy dollars. So if interest, our interest rates go up, if U.S. interest rates go up, there will be an increase in demand for U.S. bonds. For, by foreigners, but to buy those bonds, the U.S. to buy those U.S. bonds, foreigners first have to buy dollars, so there'll be a tendency to bid the dollar up and appreciate the dollar, which decreases net exports, causes makes it more difficult for uh, U.S. to export goods, it makes imports more uh, less expensive. So with a higher dollar, exports fall, imports rise, uh, which tends to overall decrease air demand. Well, skipping skipping ahead, there's some detail I'm skipping. Most that you read on your own, I can't add much. Uh, let's start with slide nine again. Uh, it's kind of a summary here of the, some concepts with respect to fiscal policy. First, it notes the, we can break. We have different names for different types of fiscal policy. Demand side policies, policies designed to stimulate or slow IR demand. Increase government spending, or cut taxes to try to shift the demand curve to the right. Now, I know there's some problems with that, but in, in some circumstances, that may make sense. If we're substantially below full employment, uh, it may make sense for the government to engage in deficit spending to restore full employment, even recognizing the, the problem with the crowding out effect. Uh, there's supply-side policies. Tax policy can affect the aggregate supply curve because it affects the incentive to work. Uh, this is what Ronald Reagan made famous as He's, he noted that given a vertical long run supply curve, aggregate demand in the long run is irrelevant anyway in determining output. And so maybe what the government ought to focus its attention on is how it can affect uh, the supply curve. And Ronald Reagan argued that we ought to dramatically reduce marginal tax rates. That'll provide a greater incentive for people to work. That whole notion is called, called supply-side economics, or supply-side policies. Then there's another way of thinking about fiscal policy. There is the distinction between discretionary fiscal policy and the concept of automatic stabilizers. Discretionary fiscal policy is when it, there needs to be a law changed. There needs to, a decision needs to be made. Action needs to be taken to either increase or decrease government spending 
or to increase or decrease taxes with the aim of uh, shifting aggregate demand. But there's also automatic stabilizers, uh, which have probably resulted. One reason the U.S. economy is much more stable, say, in the last po in the post World War II period than it was before World War II. There are certain inherent mechanisms built into our economy, built into the way the government functions, that result in our economy being more stable. Uh, there, for example, a good example of this is the unemployment insurance program. Think of what happens when the economy enters a recession. Now what we need is, if we want to use fiscal policy to combat this recession, we need to increase government spending, try to increase demand. But that's going to happen automatically because of the nature of unemployment insurance. When the economy enters a recession, people are thrown out of work and they'll automatically start receiving unemployment insurance checks. And everything else remaining the same, the federal budget will go into deficit, which is exactly what's needed in terms of stabilizing fiscal policy. Or there are other programs, welfare payments, food stamps. They're designed to protect people's incomes, so when the economy enters a slow period, spending on these programs automatically increase. And the deficit will automatically increase. Now, uh, automatic stabilizers, it also, uh, tax is also a part of automatic stabilizers. Uh, when incomes fall, tax receipts fall. Because in the U.S., we tax incomes. So again, because taxes fall and spending rises, when the economy slows, the federal budget will automatically go into a deficit or a larger deficit. Uh, which uh, you know, spending rises and taxes fall, which is what is needed to try to stimulate aggregate demand. Uh, in fact, in that regard, we want to skip ahead now to slide 13, uh, where it talks about this in a little more detail, these automatic stabilizers. Not only do taxes fall, but taxes will fall uh, the, the average tax rate will fall. In other words, proportionally, taxes fall more than fall in income because of the nature of progressive taxes. If, uh, if people are starting to lose their incomes, and they fall into lower tax brackets because in the United States, remember, we have a progressive tax system. Each subsequent higher level of income is taxed at a higher rate. Uh, the first tax bracket in the United States, I believe, is 15%, and then it goes to you know, 28%, and a little higher than that, I believe. And so, as incomes fall, people's taxes fall by proportionally even more. If your income goes down by 20%, taxes may fall by 30%, because more income will be taxed at lower rates. Uh, that progressive tax system is a stabilizing factor in the macroeconomy. And we already mentioned transfer payments are part of automatic stabilizers. So automatic stabilizers, uh, automatic stabilizers uh, are often looked upon as a, as a, a one reason the U.S. economy is more stable in re more recent years than it was in, the, in, say, the period preceding World War II. Well, that's a brief overview of fiscal policy. I'm not sure uh, I can add much more to any of that. Uh, pretty simple. Uh, but you need to answer some questions. Solve the questions in the back of the, that chapter. Take the quizzes that are available on the text homepage, and of course, take the quiz.
quizzes that we've posted to WebCT. And with that, I think we'll bring the lecture for Chapter 12 to a close. I'll see you later. Bye-bye.